This time, uh, I want to begin our study of the New Covenant as we find it in the New Testament or the New Covenant. And we will be looking at several different passages. First of all, at Luke chapter 1, and especially at three parts of that chapter, the words of the angel Gabriel to Mary, and then the songs of Mary and Zacharias. We'll also be looking at Luke 22, in which our Lord Jesus Christ instituted the Lord's Supper. We'll go on from Luke to Romans chapter 11, especially verses 25 to 27, then 2 Corinthians 3, Ephesians 2 verses 11 to 22, Hebrews and a whole series of passages there in Hebrews, especially in chapters 8 and 9, and finally, Revelation 21 and 22. However, before we begin this time to look at the New Covenant in the Gospel according to Luke, I want to point out that all of the Gospel writers set the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ into a covenantal context. Each one of them does this in a different way, but each one of them also does this in an unmistakable way. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, we have the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Matthew is very clearly making reference to the covenants of God with Abraham and with David, and is saying to us, Christ, the son of Joseph and Mary, is the fulfillment of those covenants made with David and with Abraham. In Mark chapter 1, verse 2, Mark says, As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. In the first part of that quotation, Mark is quoting from the prophecy of Malachi, chapter 3, verse 1. And this messenger is the messenger who, according to Malachi 3, goes before the messenger of the covenant. That messenger is John the Baptist, and the messenger of the covenant is our Lord Jesus Christ. It is John, the messenger of Malachi 3, verse 1, who prepares the way for the messenger of the covenant. So Mark also makes reference to God's covenantal language to his people in the Old Testament. And if we turn now to John chapter 1, in that long introduction which John has to his gospel, verses 1 to 18 of that chapter, John says in chapter four, in verse 14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh and dwelt, or tabernacled, 
among us. There is a clear reference there in John's gospel to the tabernacle and the temple, the dwelling of God with his people. And that tabernacle, of course, was a covenantal institution. It was the fulfillment of the promise of God to Abraham, I will be your God and the God of your children after you. It was in making his house among his people, his dwelling among his people, that God fulfilled that promise to Abraham. And now the word becomes flesh and tabernacles among us. So all of the Gospels then refer to the covenant of God in one way or another. But Luke does this more than any other. Luke's perspective is uh, um, a a very um, covenantal perspective in the first chapter of his gospel. There are subtle references to the covenant, and there are also very explicit references to the covenant. Let's look at a few of the subtle references to the covenant first of all. Note that Zacharias was a priest serving in the temple, the house of God, according to the Mosaic covenant and the sub-covenant that God had made with Levi and which Malachi talks about in chapter 2 of his prophecy, the covenant of Levi. So Malachi was in the temple, that covenantal place, serving according to the covenant of God with his people at Mount Sinai. And it's in this context that Gabriel comes to him with the message of the birth of his son, John. It's very deliberate on the part of God and on the part of the angel Gabriel. Gabriel could have come to Zacharias while he was at home. He could have spoken this word to Elizabeth as he spoke of Samson's birth, for example, to Samson's mother in Judges chapter 13. But he comes to Zacharias the priest in the temple, in that covenantal context, to point us to the fact that now is the time of the fulfillment of the covenant of God with his people. In chapter 1, verse 6 of Luke, we read this. And they were both, that is, Zacharias and Elizabeth, were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. That is, they were keeping the covenant, that covenant which God had made with his people at Mount Sinai, the covenant of his law. And then in verses 16 and 17, yet another indirect reference. There the angel is talking to Zacharias about John, and he says he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Gabriel there actually quotes from Malachi chapter 4. And as we saw last time, Malachi chapter 4 is closely related to Malachi chapter 3 and to that messenger of the covenant that is talked about in Malachi 3 verse 1. So these are all somewhat subtle and indirect references to the covenant. But there are also very direct references 
to the covenant. If you go down in that chapter to verses 32 and 33, we can read part of the words of Gabriel to Mary when he announced the birth of her son, Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. There, the angel Gabriel says, this son is going to be that son whom God promised to David, the son to sit on his throne forever. He will reign over the house of Jacob. And I think we cannot uh, limit that to the Jews there. That's not a, a, a bare reference to the Jews. That's a reference to the spiritual Israel, the Israel of the New Testament, which includes also all Gentile believers. He will reign over the house of Jacob, that is, over God's chosen people from both Jews and Gentiles, and his kingdom will last forever. There will be no end to that kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. His name is Jesus, the angels told Mary, and his name is interpreted in Matthew 1 by God's message to Joseph, He will be called Jesus because he will save his people, not just Jews, but also Gentiles, from their sins. This is the announcement of the promise fulfilled. This is the announcement of the gospel, which was contained in those promises of God in the Old Testament. This is the announcement of God doing what he had been promising to his people for hundreds of years. It is inconceivable that that word of God regarding the house of Jacob should be limited to the Jews only. It must be also a word for the Gentiles. But Gabriel is talking about God's covenant with David and the fulfillment of that covenant with David. Again, in the Song of Mary, Mary went to visit Elizabeth, and when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. And then we have the Song of Mary. At the end of that Song of Mary, Mary sings or says, if you prefer, He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. We should note, first of all, that word mercy. God is remembering his mercy. He is looking back then, he's remembering, and he is looking back to the times that he spoke of his mercy. And that word mercy in the New Testament is the translation of the Old Testament word loving kindness, or as some modern translations have it, steadfast love. I prefer actually loving kindness. But that 
loving kindness of God in the Old Testament is closely connected always with his covenant. His covenant has uh, reveals especially two attributes of God, his faithfulness and his loving kindness, or his chesed. That's the Hebrew word. So it's in remembrance of that loving kindness of his covenant spoken of so frequently in the Old Testament. But then there is also direct reference to the covenant when she says, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. Gabriel spoke of the covenant with David to Zacharias. Mary speaks of the covenant of God with Abraham and with his seed. And she is bearing that seed of Abraham in her womb. He is the seed of Abraham. So there again, Mary herself is speaking of God's covenant with his people. But the passage in Luke chapter 1, which is most fully permeated with this idea of the covenant, is the song of Zacharias. This is the song or the words of Zacharias after the birth of John, when God again opened his mouth. And notice what Zacharias says. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Those two words, visit and redeem, are very important words. They could not help but recall to the minds of the people of God God's visiting and redeeming of his people from the land of Egypt. That is the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham and the beginning of their trek to Mount Horeb where he made covenant with them uh, and formed them to be his people. He has visited and redeemed his people. That is, he has come to do again a work similar to that work which he did when he redeemed his people from the land of Egypt. Uh, The Old Testament refers many, many times to the deliverance from Egypt as a redemption. And Zacharias talks about his people. He has visited and redeemed his people, that is, the covenant people, the people of Israel. And Zacharias is saying, look, here, I see with the eyes of faith, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I see God visiting and redeeming his people. I see him fulfilling his covenant with his people. Again, in the very next verse, he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. So he refers again to the covenant with David, just as Gabriel had done. And God is fulfilling that uh, promise which he made to David by raising up a horn of salvation in that house. He also spoke this, verse 70, by the mouth of his holy prophets. And if you've followed these uh, studies which we've been doing, you'll have seen how the prophets also speak of this new covenant of God and the time of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's verse 70. But then, in verse 72, 
Notice that Zacharias makes direct reference to the covenant to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath which he swore to our father Abraham. So God is remembering not only the covenant he made with David, but also the covenant he made with Abraham. Zacharias takes the two and puts them together and says God is fulfilling those covenants here and now, in this time and in this place. And look what it is that God is doing in verses 74 and following, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. Those are words which are very similar to the words of God in Jeremiah and other prophets in the Old Testament. When God speaks of his new covenant, he says that he will sanctify his people, that he will make them a holy people, that he will deliver them from their idolatry, and so on. And here Zacharias, recalling that language, says, now is the time when God is going to fulfill that promise, when he is going to bring us into his service when he is going to remove from us terror of him, and when he is going to make it possible for us to serve him in holiness and righteousness all the days of our life. Malachi also talked this way in Malachi 3 verses 1 and following. He shall purify the sons of Levi, and they shall offer an offering in righteousness. Again, In verse 77, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. Jeremiah chapter 31, where God speaks directly of the new covenant and says he will forgive in that new covenant the sins of his people through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us. That's the mercy of God again then. And finally, in verse 79, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. There is an allusion to Isaiah 9 and the land of darkness and of the shadow of death to which light comes. And that land of darkness and the shadow of death is not just the northern part of the land of Israel, but is also the lands of the Gentiles as the child, the son of Mary, grows and becomes mature and offers himself and sends out his apostles to proclaim the gospel, the covenant of God with his people in the New Testament, that new and glorious covenant. So this whole first chapter of Luke is shot through and through with language of the covenant very important chapter in understanding the new covenant in the New Testament. Let's turn now to Luke chapter 22 and the institution of the Lord's Supper there in Luke chapter 22. We read about that in verses 17 and following. He took the cup and gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine 
until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Here, Jesus says, as he hands them the first cup of the Lord's Supper, here is the new covenant in my blood. I have come to fulfill the covenant of God with his people in the Old Testament. I have come to fulfill all the Old Testament bloody sacrifices by offering my blood once for all for the sins of my people. I have come to replace all the high priests of the Old Testament because I am the priest who will offer this offering. I have come in fulfillment of all the promises of God. And here in this place and at this time, I make the new covenant. I establish and confirm the new covenant in my blood, which is for the remission of sins. Now it's interesting, I think, that in Matthew chapter 26, verse 28, where we have the uh, Matthew's account of the institution of the supper, Matthew or uh, Matthew adds to these words of Jesus this. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. In other words, this cup of the new covenant, this covenant in his blood, points also to the new heavens and the new earth and the Father's kingdom. And that place where Christ the bridegroom will sit down with his bride, according to Revelation chapter 9, and drink of this cup again with them. He will drink it new with them in his Father's kingdom. So not only is Jesus saying here in this new covenant that he is fulfilling the old covenant, that he is establishing the new covenant, bringing in the new covenant as the fulfillment of the old, as the realities to which the old pointed. But he's also saying this new covenant has its future in the new heavens and the new earth in my Father's kingdom. It's also very clear here in the Gospels and in Luke 22 as well, that Jesus is making the Lord's Supper a sign and a seal of the new covenant. Now, we we have noticed in connection with the Old Covenant that the special sign of God's covenant with his people at Mount Horeb was the Sabbath day. And that Sabbath day continues as a sign of the New Covenant in the New Testament. We have noticed that the sign of circumcision was a sign of God's covenant with Abraham. I will be God to you and to your children. And that that sign of circumcision is uh, replaced in the New Testament by the sign of baptism. The baptism becomes another sign of the new covenant. I will be your God and the God of your children after you. 
And now Jesus shows us that the Lord's Supper is also a sign and a seal of the new covenant, replacing the Passover of the old covenant. In these three signs, the Sabbath, baptism, and the Lord's Supper, therefore, Jesus gives us the signs, the New Testament signs, of his new covenant. So that's what Luke has to say in in brief. Undoubtedly, you could point to other places in Luke too, which make at least indirect references to the old covenant and to the fulfillment of the promises in our Lord Jesus Christ. But let that suffice for now. These are the places that speak of that covenant, I think, most clearly in the gospel according to Luke. And they are truly beautiful passages showing us that our Lord Jesus Christ, in the shedding of his blood, has fulfilled the old covenant, has established the new covenant, has brought in the realities to which the old covenant pointed, and is now, even now, pointing us to the future of that new covenant in his Father's kingdom, reminding us by the signs and seals of that covenant of what he has done and of what he is continuing to do, so that we may place our hope and trust in him and in the promises of God that are embodied in him and spoken by him through his apostles and prophets and preachers in the New Testament. May God bless you with his word.